Actually, we're going to be just kind of at the tail end of Nehemiah 9 just to get a little bit of context about what's going on. We'll read the last verse of Nehemiah 9, verse 38, and then we'll flip over to Nehemiah 10. I'm going to kind of reference several Old Testament passages tonight, probably quicker than you may could turn to them. But I have them all printed out on this sheet of paper here. If you want them afterwards, feel free to come get one. I've got, I got plenty of them printed. And uh, you may want to study some of these things. We won't, we won't go into the aspects of all of these things we're going to discuss tonight, just for time's sake. Some of them may sound kind of familiar to you, and others, other things that we discuss may not be quite as familiar. But, but at least there's a few references we'll look at as to some of the things that are going on in Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9, the very end of the chapter, and then we'll jump over to Nehemiah 10. Now up until this point, uh, we have seen Nehemiah and the people come back into Jerusalem. They started building the wall. They built the wall. And what we saw in, in Nehemiah 9 was this, was this attitude of repentance. The people recognized that they had been living in sin. And not just them, but their ancestors. They kind of went back and they said, okay, God, you've been good time and time again throughout our history, but we have repeatedly sinned against you time and time again. And so they'd come back into the land uh, after being in captivity in Babylon and the temple had been rebuilt in Ezra's day and now the walls rebuilt in Nehemiah's day. And so God, after, after kind of handing them over to their enemies for punishment for their disobedience, has been good to bring them back into the promised land and see to it that they could rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls. And, and thankfully, th this group of people that are there, uh, they recognize the error of their ways. That's a nicer way of saying they recognize their sin. And so they repented. They praised God and said, God, you are good. You have been good. But we have not been so good, so we repent. We repent of all the, the bad things that we've done, and, and we're going to do better. That's kind of what we see here in Nehemiah 9 in Nehemiah 10. So after this repentance in Nehemiah 9, we see the people kind of recommitting themselves to God. Okay, God, we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at these things in your law, these commands that you've given us, and we're going to make sure that we're doing these things. And that's what we're going to see tonight in Nehemiah 9. So let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word, and I pray that there will be something good in this for us. Dear Lord, we we can read about all this stuff and all these laws and commands for, for your people in the Old Testament. And God, even though these things don't necessarily apply to us in the same way, God, maybe there's some connection. Maybe there's some ways that we need to kind of straighten our life up and we need to repent. And maybe some areas that we need to recommit ourselves to, to doing right by you, dear Lord, and being obedient to you. And so if that's the case, let your Holy Spirit lead us in that way. I pray that you just hide me behind the cross, that you just would... Help me to preach and teach in a way that brings glory to you. And I pray that you help us to be free of distractions, God. And in these few minutes, that your word would stick into our heart and into our mind and that you'd recall that to us at the time we need to hear it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Nehemiah 9, verse 38. In view of all this, that is all the repentance that we talked about and that we saw earlier on in Nehemiah 9. In view of all this... We are making a binding agreement in writing on a sealed document containing the names of our leaders, Levites, and priests. All right, so after they repented, uh, they, they decided that they were going to make a binding agreement. And we see as we get into Nehemiah 10. 
those whose seals were on the document were. Now, we won't read all those names for time's sake. It's a bunch of people that signed this document that, that came into this agreement. Okay, God, we have done wrong. We're repenting of that, but we are committing to follow your law. We are, we are making an agreement right here. We are, we are, we are, we are going to be committed to doing what you tell us to do. And so uh, we'll skip all those names there at the beginning of Nehemiah 10 for time's sake. You can go back and study those later if you'd like to. But skip on down to verse 28. And so these were the people whose, whose names were on this agreement, uh, who, who agreed to this, these leaders, these Levites, these priests of the people who said, hey, God, we're making this commitment to you. And all those names were on it. And then in verse 28, the rest of the people, the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, and temple servants, along with their wives, sons, and daughters, everyone who is able to understand and who has separated themselves from the surrounding peoples to obey the law of God, join with their noble brothers and commit themselves with a sworn oath to follow the law of God given through God's servant Moses and to carefully obey all the commands, ordinances, and statutes of Yahweh our Lord. Okay, so they're, they're, they're going back to what God had commanded them in the time of Moses. Now, sometimes maybe when we hear the law of Moses, we may, we may quickly think of the Ten Commandments, but there was much more to the law. I think there was something like 613 commands. It was a lot of commands that God gave his people, things that they had to do. And so when we see that they went back and they read the book of the law, and we see that kind of in Ezra, we see it here in Nehemiah, that the people are kind of going back to what they need to be doing. There, there are a few things that they list here in Nehemiah 10, areas that they say, these are things that we're going to do. Now, why they pick these things, uh, I'm not sure, but maybe these are areas that they recognized that they had really failed and areas that they knew that they needed to uh, be obedient to God in certain ways. And so I've come up with, with what, I would, what I would say, and you, you, you might could break this up into different ways, but I've kind of broken this down into 11 different ways that we see here in the second half of Nehemiah 10 that the people said, okay, God, we are recommitting ourselves to your law. These are the things that we are going to do better. And these are things that, for the most part, are pretty easy for us to see a reference to uh, earlier on in the Old Testament. Uh, some of them, though, are, are not quite as clear, but, but we'll talk about that as we get to some of those. But in Nehemiah 10, verse 30, they said, We will not give our daughters in marriage to the surrounding peoples. And we will not make, take their daughters as wives for our sons. Okay, this is the command that God had told the people uh, way back in Deuteronomy. Don't intermarry with the foreign people. Now, I, I say this anytime we come across a, a, a passage that addresses this, but I'll say it again. This was not, this does not have anything to do with race. This was not a racial thing. Don't marry somebody that's not of your race. It was a, if you marry somebody that's, that's, that's not of, 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 of my people Israel, God said, they will cause you to go after their God. So if you marry somebody that's a foreigner, well, they don't worship me, God said. And if you marry them, then they may keep you from worshiping me. And that's the problem that God was trying to address. God addressed that problem with Solomon when he said, don't take a foreign wife or they will turn you from me. And what did Solomon do? And all of his wisdom. He took a foreign wife, and guess what happened? Shocker, it turned him against God. That's why God did not want the people to intermarry. Now, now the, 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 the modern application of that to Christians is what Paul talks about of being unequally yoked. A Christian should not marry a non-Christian. And sometimes we see passages like this, 
or see passages like that of, of, of Paul and people say, oh, the Bible speaks against, uh, against uh, mixed marriages or, 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 or marrying different races. That's not what these passages are addressing. They're addressing don't marry somebody who does not worship God. Because if you marry somebody who does not worship God, there's a good chance that they will draw you away from God. And so this was a problem. We see this addressed in the book of Ezra. If you want to read it, it's about the same time period. We see Ezra address the same problem, and we see it alluded to here in the book of Nehemiah. So that must have been a big problem. After all, the people had been dispersed. God's people, Israel, had been dispersed kind of throughout the land. And so they were around a lot of foreigners. And so it, it, it would have been pretty tempting uh, and maybe very easy for them to want to marry foreign people. Uh, but, but they're realizing here, now that they've been returned to the land, hey, God, we need to be careful. We don't need to, we don't need to intermarry with these foreign people because, God, we're here trying to draw closer to you. And, and we realize that if we, if, we, if we intermarry and give our sons and daughters to other people, it's going to lead to problems. And, and in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, it says, Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, because they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods. And so we see kind of the heart of what God commanded there, and that was way back in Deuteronomy. Let's move on to verse 31. When the surrounding peoples bring merchandise or any kind of grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. We will also leave the land uncultivated in the seventh year and will cancel every debt. Okay, so this is, this is kind of a tough one right here because they say when the foreigners come in and try to sell us something on the Sabbath or any other holy day, we won't buy what they're trying to sell. Now, I have looked and searched, and I can't find like a specific command that, that specifically says, and I'm not saying it's not in there. I may just not have found it yet. But so far, I haven't been able to find one, and, and maybe I will if it's there a command that says, don't buy from people on the Sabbath day. Now, of course, uh, we, we have the command in Exodus uh, chapter 35, verses 1 through 3, where Moses assembled the entire Israelite community and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days, work is to be done, but on the seventh day, you are to have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Anyone who does work on it must be executed. Do not light a fire in any of your homes on the Sabbath day. Now, that last part in verse 3, some have said, well, light, lighting a fire has to do with business, and if you're running a business, you're selling or buying things. And that's, that's where that comes from. Well, I don't know. That's kind of a stretch from talking about not lighting a fire to saying that you can't buy and sell. Now, I don't know exactly why Nehemiah focused on that right there. And, and you can find, if you want to research this topic, you can find a lot of thoughts on that. Uh, because a lot of folks will say, uh, well, Christians shouldn't buy or sell on the Sabbath day today. Now, I don't believe that we are under that law in Christ. Uh, in any way, shape, or form, but there are many Christians who do, and if you if you want to research that, that's a that, that, that's a good topic for you to research. But but I don't know that there's a specific command that doesn't say not to buy or sell on the Sabbath day. But obviously that was an issue because what we will see when we get to Nehemiah 13 is he addresses this issue again of foreigners coming in and selling on the Sabbath day and God's people uh, buying from them. And so one of the things that they said we're going to not do is we're not going to buy from the foreigners who sell on the seventh day. So uh, they're not going to intermarry, and they're not going to buy from foreigners who are selling things on the Sabbath day. They also say in that passage uh, that they would leave the land 
uncultivated on the seventh year. Now, this is something that God called them to do, that they were to work the land for six years, and on the seventh year, uh, they were to leave it uncultivated. They weren't to do anything with it. And we see that command in Exodus chapter 23, verses 10 and 11. It says, Sow your land for six years and gather its produce during the seventh year, you are to let it rest and leave it uncultivated so that the poor among your people may eat from it and the wild animals may consume what they leave. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. And so this command obviously had been in the law for God's people for a long time. And if we, if we read the context of Exodus 23, the, the main theme there seems to be caring for the poor. So that seems like that might have been uh, one of the main reasons for this. Hey, don't pick everything on the seventh year. Leave it. Why? So the poor can eat it and even the animals can eat it. Now, these things that they're committing to are probably things that they had not been doing, things that they maybe they knew or, or maybe they didn't know and just had been reminded of uh, as they've been seeking the Lord, hey, these are things that we're supposed to be, be doing. Uh, but chances are they probably hadn't been doing these things, at least if they had, not faithfully. These are areas that they are bringing up. Hey, God, we're going to do better in these days, in these ways. And so... Uh, these are, the, these are some of the things that, that, that we see as we read through the text. Uh, so they'll leave their field uncultivated for seven years, and on the seventh year they will cancel every debt, which is also something that we see in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 15, verses 1 and 2, at the end of every seven years you must cancel debts. This is how to cancel debt. Every creditor is to cancel what he has lent his neighbor. He is not to collect anything from his neighbor or brother, because the Lord's release of debts has been proclaimed. Again, the purpose of this may have been some, some alleviation to help the poor. At the end of, of six years and the seventh year, if someone is indebted to you, someone has borrowed money from you, what did God command? He said to forgive that loan, forgive that debt. And so the people here are saying, okay, God, we're going we're gonna to do that, what you commanded. Verse 32 we will impose the following commands on ourselves. To give an eighth of an ounce of silver yearly for the service of the Lord's, or excuse me, of the house of our God. The bread displayed before the Lord, the daily grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbath and new moon offerings, the appointed festivals, the holy things, the sin offerings to atone for Israel, and for all the work of the house of our God. Okay, so... What were they going to do? They were going to give a specified amount of silver. Now, some of your translations may say uh, an eighth of an ounce of silver. Some of them may say a third of a shekel of silver. And this is another one of those commands that's kind of hard to figure out exactly where this comes from. Now, there's, there's a similar command to this with similar language. Uh, we see that in Exodus chapter 30, verse 13. It says, everyone who is registered must pay half a shekel according to the sanctuary shekel. Uh, 20, 20 geras to the shekel. This half shekel is a contribution to the Lord. And so we see some similar language there, but, but not exactly the same because in Exodus 30 there was a half a shekel. And here what we see in, in Nehemiah 10 is a third of a shekel. And if you try to research this, about the only place that I have found that mentions this is the book of Nehemiah. Now I don't know if this, 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 this giving of this silver that Nehemiah is referencing 
uh, is, is, has anything to do with Exodus chapter 30 or not. I'm not real sure. But kind of the heart of it is the same. That the people were giving the silver for what? They were giving it to the house of God. For what purpose? So that they could um, uh, get the bread that's displayed, the grain offerings, all of these offerings that were to be, to be offered, and the sin offerings to atone for Israel. That's what this silver would have gone for. And so this is one of the things on their list. Okay, God, we're going to get back to giving this silver that, that, that we are supposed to be giving. All right, let's move along. Verse 34, we have cast lots among the priests, Levites, and people for the donation of wood by our ancestral houses at the appointed times each year. They are to bring the wood to our God's house to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. Okay, so to have these, these, these burnt offerings, you had to have wood, you had to have a fire. And that was one of the things that God had commanded uh, back in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12. The fire on the altar is to be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest will burn wood uh, on the fire. He is to arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat portions from the fellowship offerings on it. And so we see this idea from Leviticus that there had to be wood to keep these fires going. And here we see this idea, okay, God, we're going to make sure, we're going to cast lots so that somebody is appointed to make sure that they gather this wood in so that we'll have the wood that we need to continue to do the things that you call us to do. So they're going to continue uh, or, or recommit themselves to gathering the wood for the offerings. All right, verse 37. We will bring a loaf from our first batch of dough to the priest at the storerooms of the house of our God. We will also bring the first fruits of our grain offerings and every fruit tree and of the new wine and oil. A tenth of our land's produce belongs to the Levites, for the Levites are to collect one tenth, uh, one, the one-tenth offering in all our agricultural towns. All right, well, we see a, a similar command that God gives his people in Exodus chapter 23, and that is a command that they would bring the first fruits of the land to the Lord. In Exodus 23, 19, he says, Bring the best of the first fruits of your land to the house of the Lord your God. All right, so we see this command, and it appears here in these verses we just read that they're saying, we're going to get back to doing that, bringing you the best of the best to your house, God. We're going to bring it to you. All right, we also see uh, as we continue to, to uh, read along. Let's see, I lost my place here. Oh, I skipped a verse. Let's back up to verse 35. I skipped a verse there. Uh, we will bring the first fruits of our land and every fruit tree uh, by the house uh, of the Lord year by year. We will also bring the firstborn of our sons and our livestock as prescribed by the law and will bring the firstborn of our herd and flocks to the house of our God, to the priests who serve in our God's house. All right, now we got, now we're back on track. All right, so we just read the verse that talks about the first fruits of the land, but we also see in verse 36 that uh, they would also bring the firstborn of their sons and of their livestock uh, to be, in the, in the case of the sons, to be dedicated to the Lord, not to, be, not to be killed before the Lord. But the animals, of course, would be sacrificed. And we see those commands in Exodus chapter 13, verse 2, that they would bring the firstborn of their son and their livestock. It says, Consecrate every firstborn male to me, the firstborn male from every womb among the Israelites, both man and domestic animal, it is mine. And so all of these, these things that they're referencing in Nehemiah are not just things that they're coming up with or making up. 
These are things that God had already commanded them to do, but they had not been doing these things because they had been disobedient. Now, I'm sure that some of God's people had been doing some of these things throughout the years, but they had not collectively as a whole been obedient to follow what God had commanded. And so all of these things that, we, that we're seeing as we go through this list, they're simply just restating what God had already told them. Hey, God, you already told us to do this. We hadn't been doing it, so we're going to get back to doing it. All right, verse 37. Uh, we will bring a loaf from our first batch of dough uh, to the priest at the storeroom of the house of our God. Uh, we see similar language in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 44, verse 30. The best of all the first fruits of every kind and contribution and every kind from all your gifts will belong to the priest. You are to give your first batch of dough to the priest so that a blessing may rest on your homes. Now, this particular... Uh, Thing we see in Ezekiel, obviously that wasn't from back in the law, uh, but perhaps that's the that's the idea here. Is they talk about bringing their first batch of dough uh, is what we see here in Ezekiel chapter 44 that they're going to bring this first batch of dough uh, to the priest. All right, let's continue on. We will also bring the first fruits of our grain offerings of every fruit tree and of the new wine and oil. A tenth of our land's produce belongs to the Levites, for the Levites are to collect the one-tenth offering in all our agricultural towns. Well, we see the grain offerings mentioned in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 14. If you present a grain offering of the first fruits to the Lord, you must present fresh heads of grain, crushed kernels, roasted on the fire for your grain offering of first fruits. And so, again, we see the command. When they're going to offer the grain offerings, this is how they are to do it. This is how it's to be done. All right, verse 38. A priest of the, of the Aaronic descent uh, must accompany the Levites when they collect the tenth. And the Levites must take the tenth of this offering to the storerooms of the treasury in the house of our God. For the Israelites and the Levites are to bring the contributions of grain, new wine, and oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are kept and where the priests who minister are, along with the gatekeepers and singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. All right, this is the, the, the last one in the list here, number 11, uh, that they would bring a tenth of the land's produce uh, for the Levites uh, to put in the storeroom. We see that command in Numbers chapter 18, verse 21. Look, I have given the Levites every tenth in Israel as an inheritance and return for the work they do the work of the tent of meeting. And so this, these, these, these things that were brought in, this tenth of what was brought in uh, to the house of God, to the storerooms of God, were for the priests, were for the Levites, were for those that God had set apart for the temple work. Uh, and that's what we see uh, the command that God gave way back in Numbers. And that's why they were bringing these things. That's what they brought them for, was for the storehouse. And we see, we see another mention of that in Malachi chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tent into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Now, obviously, this is very similar language. This is what God had commanded them to do. This is what God was getting on to them about in Malachi because they were not doing it. And this is what the people in Nehemiah say, God, we have not been doing this, and so we are going to do it. And so the people here are in a good place. 
They had come out of a place of, of, of hard times, to being in captivity in Babylon. But they have come into a place of restoration. They have come into a place where God has provided. They have come into a place where the temple is restored. And now they can return to offering sacrifices. And now they can seek the Lord. And now their sin can be atoned for. And now they can worship the Lord. And so now that all of these things have occurred and God has put them back there with the temple and he has put them back there with a wall of protection around them, they are doing what they should. They are praising the Lord and they're repenting. God, you have been good to us. We have not been good to you. But God, we're going to do better. And they looked at all of these things and why they chose these things of all the things God commanded, I'm not sure. But these are the things that they acknowledged. Maybe, maybe everything else they were doing. It's doubtful, but, but maybe not. Maybe these were the, maybe these were the areas where they, where they saw that they needed to focus most of their energy. For whatever reason, they looked at their life and they said, God, these are the things that we need to do to be obedient to you. We need to recommit ourselves to you in these areas. So what does that look like for us? Well, that's a good question because all of us probably are in different spots in our life. Maybe there are some areas in your life that you need to recommit some things to the Lord. Maybe some of the things that we see on this list, I mean, we're not under the law in the same way. We're not, we're not taking a tenth of our stuff to, to, to Jerusalem. Uh, there's not a temple there to take it to, if, 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 even if we wanted to. Uh, we are freed from those kind of things. Jesus Christ has, has freed us in the law. And so we don't, we don't necessarily you know, connect with these things exactly as they do, but no doubt there are probably areas in our life that we may need to be recommitted to the Lord. Maybe there are some things that you look at your life and you say, man, God, I, my prayer life hasn't been what it should be. God, my attitude hasn't been what it should, should be. God, I've, I've been kind of proud. God, I need to work on being more humble. God, you call me to love people and I've got some hatred in my heart. God, you, you call me to serve in this way and I refuse to serve in this way. I mean, whatever it may be, there may be areas in your life that you used to be really committed to God, that you were really committed in serving in this way and, 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 and seeking God in this way and living for God in, 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 in whatever way it is. But maybe because of life and because of sin, our lives doesn't look very much different than that of, of God's people that we see here in Nehemiah because our story is really just the same. We have seasons where God delivers us and we do good. and We say, God, we're going to praise you. And then we have seasons of sin where we don't seek the Lord. And we find ourselves in trouble sometimes, just as the people of Nehemiah did. But what did we see in Nehemiah 9? That time and time again, that every time the people sinned, that God was always faithful. And God is still faithful to us. But we cannot continue to live in our sin. We have to repent. And when we recognize the power and the goodness and the grace of God, as the people of Nehemiah's day did... They had the proper response. They said, God, we repent. We have not done right by you. And here is how we are going to do, to do better. Now, it's, don't, don't be confused. We don't want to say, God, I'm going to do better so you'll love me more. That's, that's not what we do better. We do better because God does love us, because God is gracious to us, because we want to have close relationship with God. We want our relationship with God to be restored. We don't want to do better just because doing better makes us better. No, Jesus makes us better. But we want to do better for Jesus because he makes us better. And so sometimes we have to look at our own life. And we have to say, God, are there some areas in my life that I need to recommit myself to you 
in a way that I'm, I'm not doing so good right now. And that's what the people of Nehemiah's day did. And what a great day that was. Sadly, things didn't, didn't continue to go good. Of course, we see by the time of Jesus, there was a lot of, a lot of religious folks there that, that weren't doing right by God and weren't following God's law. But in that moment, in Nehemiah, for a little while, they did take these things serious and they did focus on the Lord. And we need to do the same thing in our life. We need to see areas where we're not committed to Jesus, and we need to make sure that we recommit ourselves to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and thank you for these, these good words, and I pray that we'd get something from this tonight, dear Lord. We kind of look at a lot of stuff here in this chapter, and God, we see the right heart with the people that we read about. We see their heart of repentance, and we see their heart of, of acknowledging areas of sin in their life. So God, let us be, let us be faithful to do the same first repent of our sin and then to see areas where we need to where we need to recommit ourselves to you to live better for you and god i pray that you just would help these words to kind of tuck away in our heart that you'd recall them to us that you'd help us to remember what you need us to remember and and live by it dear lord that your holy spirit would work in our life and i just thank you that we can come here tonight and look at these words and i just ask these things in jesus name amen